we're going to look at Hebrews. Look at what Hebrews has to say to these Christians and to us today about how Jesus is greater than all of our challenges. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 4. So go ahead and find that. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 4. All right. Once people have seen the light, gotten a taste of heaven, and been part of the work of the Holy Spirit, once they've personally experienced the sheer goodness of God's word and the powers breaking in on us, if then they turn their backs on it, washing their hands of the whole thing, well, they can't start over as if nothing happened. That's impossible. Why, they've re-crucified Jesus. They've repudiated him in public, parched ground that soaks up the rain and then produces an abundance of carrots and corn for its gardener gets God's well done. But if it produces weeds and thistles, it's more likely to get cussed out. Fields like that are burned, not harvested. I'm sure that won't happen to you, friends. I have better things in mind for you. Salvation things. God doesn't miss anything. He knows perfectly well all the love you've shown him by helping needy Christians and that you keep at it. And now I want each of you to extend that same intensity toward a full-bodied hope and keep at it till the finish. Don't drag your feet. Be like those who stay the course with committed faith and then get everything promised to them. This is Hebrews chapter 6 from a paraphrase, The Message. Today I want to talk to you about God's gardening. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you are alive in these words and that you've drawn us by Holy Spirit to meet with you today and to be changed by your word. We invite you to speak. I give you my voice and I ask, Lord, that you would be glorified and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, let's see, Matt, could you bring my, my drink, my tea? I'm really, so you guys might know me from Coffee Talk, right? Well, actually today I have some tea. I was faking it that whole time. I had my little coffee up, coffee mug up here. True story, I, it was empty the whole time. I'm sorry, I was kind of tricky about that. But today I have real live tea in my cup, and you'll have to pardon me if I take a sip now and, now and then. Well, so today we're going to talk about God's gardening. So Matt and I have lived here for 18 years. It's hard to believe that, but we've lived here in New Orleans for 18 years. We moved here to start Chi Alpha Campus Ministries in this, at the universities in New Orleans. We came and we started, oh yeah, come on now, Chi Alpha. We started, <laughs> we started at Tulane and then soon enough had a group at Loyola, a group at the University of New Orleans, and then over at Xavier. And thank the Lord, God has brought a team around us now. So it's not just us out here hacking it out of the wilderness. We have an incredible team of missionaries here working with us in the cities to reconcile students to Christ. And so that's why we came here 18 years ago, but originally I'm from Iowa and Nebraska. Okay, so for some of y'all might not even know where those places are. That's because there's not even a whole lot that's happening there. Number one, they don't have any festivals. Number two, they don't have any, they don't have the same incredible culture that Louisiana has. It's not sportsman's paradise, right? 
They don't have this rich history of resilient Acadian people who like hacked it out of the wilderness or incredibly brave and courageous um, free people of color who helped build the city of New Orleans. We just don't have that rich history in Nebraska and Iowa. It's like you name your sports team after corn huskers, okay? So that's kind of like, that's about as good as it gets them in Nebraska corn huskers. Well, the one thing we do have in Nebraska and Iowa is we can grow stuff, a lot of stuff. I mean, soybeans, corn, pigs, you name it, we grow it. That's what happens in Nebraska and Iowa. And that's what we're famous for. And, and we're, I'm very thankful for people who grow stuff in Nebraska and Iowa because it's all right here at Walmart. So we're really excited about that. It's gonna be the 4th of July. You know you're gonna be eating some corn on the cob, so you better be thankful for Iowa and find out where it is on the map. So as a little girl, I, my family always had a garden. We always gardened when I was growing up. And we would grow tomatoes, we would grow lettuce, we would grow beans, we grew a lot, a lot of beans. I really didn't like the beans, but we grew a lot of beans. And when, so when we came here, I was ready. I knew how to plant, to till the soil. I knew how to plant the seeds. I knew how to weed the garden and weed the garden and weed the garden and weed the garden and weed the garden. I knew that, I knew how to harvest the garden. I was ready, I was ready to go. So we come down here, I'm like, I'm gonna start a garden. Well, we move into the townhouse near Tulane. Jesus is our realtor. I don't know how it happened, but we were like selling plasma to buy peanut butter and jelly, but somehow somebody gave us a mortgage and we bought this little townhouse next to Tulane and used it as a ministry center, praise the Lord. And uh, but our backyard was not suitable for gardening. Our backyard was about the size of your car. So you're not gonna have a garden back there because there's just no space, right? But down the street, uh, one of our neighbors, Miss Corinne, she had donated a plot of her land to a community garden. And so you could come and you could, you know, check out basically uh, a little plot for yourself. And so I've done this, right? I'm from Iowa, I'm from Nebraska. I know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna like go down there with my seeds and, and plant a garden. So first spring, plant the garden, everything dies, gets eaten by bugs the size of a pterodactyl. I mean, it was, it was insane. Like things just never die here. They just get bigger and bigger and bigger and they eat your whole garden. And so that was a, that was a total bust. Next, and here's Miss Corinne. She's got this beautiful plot. It's got a bunch of lettuces and a bunch of collards and a bunch of okra, like as tall as corn. And I'm thinking, she's gonna feed a couple families with this garden and mine is gone. It is literally gone. So the next year I'm like planting stuff and still nothing, nothing is growing in this garden. And now I, I didn't have my dad there to help me, but I had done this enough. I figured I knew what I was doing, but I finally humbled myself and, and went and talked to Miss Corinne because you know she's been gardening for a long time. She's been gardening this land for a long time. Surely she knows what to do. So I talked to her and I realized, here's the problem. I've been planting this garden in what I thought was topsoil because in Iowa and Nebraska, that's what we got. We got this rich, dark, black topsoil. You can grow anything in it. You can grow popsicles in it. I mean, you can grow anything in that beautiful, rich topsoil. But here in this little garden that I had, zero topsoil. It was like trying to clay it's like trying to plant seeds in Play-Doh. 
Now, why it took me two years to figure that out, I don't know. But Miss Corinne, Corinne steered me in the right direction, and I got some good topsoil so that I could really start to help my garden grow. And it really did make a difference. Now, those pterodactyl beetles, whatever those are, I mean, that was still a problem. But that soil made all the difference. The theme of gardening is all throughout the Bible. Jesus talks a lot about growing things and about gardens and about farming. In fact, he's in an agricultural, agrarian society. So he is with people who are all the time growing things. They are growing things for money, for income. They're also just growing things to feed their family because you couldn't go to Walmart and pick up your groceries. And so you have to grow things. And so this is the context that Jesus is teaching in. And so he teaches using farming principles and stories a lot. He says that he is the vine. And in that, in that region, they would grow a lot of grapes. And so this I picture of a grapevine, and then, which is the center trunk, basically, of, for us, what would be a tree. And then we are the branches, that we are what comes off of the main part of that plant. And listen to what he says in John 15, verse 6. If you do not remain in me, connected to me as the vine, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Oh, this is some pretty strong language, Jesus. And then we just read that Hebrew stuff, and it makes a lot of sense. Well, Pastor Wade's not here this week. <laughs> just kidding. No, he had his hands all on this. But this is hard stuff. Like, I got signed up for, like, the big leagues, and I'm playing t-ball, guys. But the, Jesus is just giving it to us straight this morning. He's saying that if we don't remain in him, we are like a branch that's cut up and thrown away. So here's the question. How do you, how do I keep from withering and being thrown away in the kingdom of God? That's a big question. That's a serious question. How do we keep from withering and being thrown away in the kingdom of God? How, how many of you want to make it the long haul in your faith? You want to, you want to be with Jesus to the end. How do we remain in Jesus? At the end of your life, you want to say, I am really connected to Jesus. I am in God's family. I belong. I love the things that he loves. I didn't just spend time at his house once a week. I really got to know him and he knows me. If that's you, right? Like we want to remain. Well, what is the secret? to remaining. What's, what, how, do, how does that happen? Well, let's look at it together. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 12 again. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So here in this passage from Hebrews, the author starts talking about a group of people that have walked away from God. They have left their faith, left their Lord, left Jesus. This, is described, this, this describes someone called an apostate. That is a person that has renounce their religious or political beliefs completely. 
So what we know about this group of people that had walked away from Jesus so completely was that at one time they had been associated with Jesus. But at this point, the author is describing essentially they've just said, see you never, I'm out, I'm, I'm done. And they had been enlightened. They had an intellectual understanding of who Jesus was and what he was all about. But that was what they had. They had God's word. They had seen God's power at work around them. And they still walked away. And not only did they walk away, they literally renounced him publicly. They shamed him. It was like they put him back on the cross. And this time, the Romans weren't to blame. The Roman soldiers weren't the ones to blame. It was like they themselves had put Jesus on the cross again. And the author is pleading, he's begging with them, please don't let this happen to you. Now, there are many different views. Again, here's that hard text. And there are many different views among Bible scholars for hundreds of years about who were these people really. And what I'll tell you is there's not any one agreed upon answer. Some scholars believe that maybe this group of Christians, this group of people, had never really been Christ followers in the first place, that they were kind of posing. They were just kind of lumping themselves in with a, a larger group, but th the sincerity wasn't there. Some scholars believe that they really were believers, but, and they believed in Jesus, and they had ascribed to him completely, but then they decided for an unknown reason, we don't know the details, they, they walked away from that true faith. Scholars can't agree, but we do know this. Whatever they were, they were completely not that anymore. And they had rejected the Son of God completely. So in case you're here today and you're wondering, you're hearing this and you're starting to get nervous and you're thinking, oh my goodness, what if that's me? Is that me? Am I, am I an apostate? I just want to help you, encourage you, take a deep breath. If you're asking that question, that is not you. You are here by the invitation of the Holy Spirit, and you have willingly received the, that invitation, and you are here. Your heart is open. You have not rejected him, and that is not you. And maybe you're on, new to this faith thing. You don't even know for sure what you believe about Jesus, and you're on a, on a faith journey. That is not you either, okay? Just take a deep breath because you are on the walk, and I believe Jesus is with you. <clears throat> so let's look at some important verses, verses 7 through 8. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Here it is, that picture again of land, of soil. It reminds me of a story that Jesus told, and we're going to turn to that in a minute. But first, I want to ask you some questions. So why is it that sometimes, whether it's in our own life or maybe someone else's life, that we just feel like there's never really growth? You know, maybe the, there's no progress in their marriage, no forward movement in communication or in healing or in forgiveness. Maybe there's no progress or fruit in the way that they treat people. It's just rough all the time. 
maybe in the way that they forgive or in surrendering their prejudices, or maybe there's just no freedom in the way that they worship or other areas of their life that never seem to change. These are thorns and thistles instead of a good crop, right? It's, it's, the thing, it's something is, is wrong, something is broken in this life. The problem is not with the land. The problem is not with the soil. <clears throat> Sorry, the problem is with the land. It is with the soil. And so today, let's talk about and look at Jesus' story. What does he have to say about dirt? What does Jesus have to say about dirt? Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. So here we have three types of soil. So if you've ever grown anything, let's take a look at, at those three types of soil. You know that if you want to grow something, you need water, right? Just enough, not too little, not too much. You need sunshine, just enough, not too little, not too much. You need nutrients in the soil, again, just enough, and you need soil. You need good soil. So in this parable, the story that Jesus used to tell people a, a kingdom truth, to talk physical things to tell about spiritual realities. The seed is God's word, and the soil is our heart. Now, the seed, God's word, is perfect. But like we all admitted earlier, our heart is not. That's what needs work. We don't have a seed problem. We have a soil problem. So let's watch the way that Jesus describes these three different types of soil and just kind of engage and try to really filter through what I'm saying using the Holy Spirit's help to see where we are in our spiritual heart. All right, the first heart, hard soil. So in Palestine, the fields are planted in long, straight rows, okay? Very organized. And so in between those rows is a path, a right-of-way, because if you can imagine a huge field, if you need to get from this side of the field to the other, you have to have a way to go. You're going to walk all the way around the field? No, you're going to walk in between the rows. And so it was common that in between each row, there could be a path. Of course, you're not going to walk right up on the plants. That's going to cause you some trouble, but you can walk in between the rows. Now, if you can imagine all the people over countless years in this field walking that same row, walking that same path, what would happen? That's like feet, 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 that ground is going to become trampled and it's going to become hard. It's going to be beaten down. Now, we have chickens in our backyard, and if you, they're, they're not the brightest creature ever. And if you throw their seed out into the grass, they're like, 
what do I do now? I can't find it. It's lost. I don't know what, what, what to do. But if you throw that seed out, that feed, out on the hard ground where the kids, our four kids have been, well, not four, only three of them are tramping around so far, thank goodness, but where the three kids have been tramping around and that ground is packed in and it's hard, you throw that out, that chicken feed out onto that ground, they know what to do. Those seeds, that feed just sits right on top of the ground. It's not going anywhere. They could even come back to it tomorrow because it's still going to be sitting right there on top. It's not getting down into that ground and they can just eat it right off the top. And that's what happens when that seed of God's word hits hard soil, it becomes nothing but bird food. Whether it's crows or sparrows or chickens or what, that seed of God's word can't go down deep into our lives. Jesus is comparing, using this story to compare people who have hard hearts. They're just unwilling to have the conversation, unwilling to even go there and to consider his truth. Maybe they've been beaten down by life, you know, beaten down by others, maybe even beaten down by the church or someone in the church. And that hurt has become hardness instead of hope for healing. And that hardness makes it very difficult for God's word to get down and change their lives. You know, Satan is out to destroy our spiritual growth. He's the enemy of God. He's the enemy of all that God loves, including you and I. And he wants to destroy God's work in your life and your spiritual growth. And he will send temptations. He will send trials. He will send disappointments. He will create a mess of grief in your life. Anything he can do to get you to be hard about, hard towards the Lord, hard towards others. You see, when we have a hard heart, we don't even see our need for God. We don't see our need for change. We don't see our need for growth. A hard heart, that hard soil makes us spiritually blind. Well, the second soil that Jesus talks about is a shallow soil, right? He talked about how the roots don't grow down and so things begin to wither. So that's that shallow soil. So also in, in Palestine, it's, it's dry. And so you might see some a place that looks like it's ready to, to grow something, a place that's ready to, to sow some seeds. But right underneath that soil are rocks, like a limestone outcropping or something like that. Now, I know we don't have a lot of rocks here. Rocks are pretty hard to come by here, but there, there's just a lot of rocks. And so even if you see soil, there might be rocks right underneath the surface. The soil looks ready, but there's no depth. So the plant just grows a little bit, and then withers and dies. And this person, Jesus uses this image to show like a person who knows nothing about making Jesus their leader. Really not ready to let him change their life and turn away from their old life. So here's what happens, like our trials, the things that we go through, the hurt that comes into our lives or the difficulties that we face, those trials, all of that trouble can either knock us out or can cause us 
to grow deeper in him, to grow roots deeper in him. Now that shallow heart could be that, just that we don't have depth, or it could be that we are kind of impulsive. So maybe at first we're at a place and like right now in this moment, I'm really excited about church. I'm really excited because the music is great or the people is great, or there's this really good looking person there, or my grandkids like it or whatever it is. And I'm so excited. But then the message gets challenging and small group is like inconvenient and I just kind of want to take a Sunday off and sleep in or whatever it is we're reading the Bible and it's hardish to like let that and so we're just like I think I'll just like take a break and I'm just kind of like impulsive I'm stop and go and I'm not pressing through to the finish and that soil is not deep in my life or maybe for someone with a shallow heart God is more like their their sugar daddy than their king right he's here to give me what I want but he's not going to take anything from me like I I don't really want to be part of his kingdom I want him to become part of mine and so that shallow heart can make you spiritually immature, just not growing. Nothing is taking root. Nothing is taking hold. And it's difficult for real fruit to come up healthy and strong. Okay, so maybe up until now, you've been thinking about these different types of soil. You've been thinking about the hard heart soil or the shallow heart soil. And maybe you've been thinking about other people that you know or You've been thinking about that family member and you've been feeling sad for them because you know that this is this is where they are. You can maybe maybe you've seen that, you've perceived that. So you're feeling really sad for them. But on the other hand, you're feeling pretty good about yourself because you don't have a hard heart and you don't have a shallow heart. So you're feeling pretty good. Well, good news is Jesus doesn't want anyone to be left out. So if you're like me, here's the third soil. The third soil, Jesus talks about it, that it's thorny soil or soil surrounded with weeds. Okay, so just to, just to find out, who are my gardening people? Who grows fruit, garden, fruit, vegetables, flowers? Okay, look at you guys. Come on, we're proud. Come on, raise your hands. Yeah. Okay, so what do you have to do in a garden, right? I mentioned it earlier. What do you have to do if you want your garden to make it? You have to, starts with a W, rhymes with feed. Weed. You have to weed that garden, right? You have to weed and weed and weed. Now, in our, in our spiritual situation, weeds this weeding and thorny stuff doesn't happen overnight. But in our real life situation, weeds happen overnight, right? You have to stay at it, right? They're crazy. And what happens in our garden? That weeds can consume real quick anything that comes in its path. They will starve out. They will suck out the water. They will suck the nutrients out of the ground. They will choke out maybe those little vines that grow here. Oh my goodness. They just choke and they grow up around everything and they literally choke out that good vegetable, those beautiful flowers, that azalea, whatever it is that you have planted, it is those weeds are going after that tree, vegetable, whatever. Well, in our lives, this doesn't always happen overnight, but Jesus explains later in chapter Mark that it does happen. And those weeds, what are the weeds? He explains them as the cares or worries of life. 
the cares or worries of life. Now, here's what I said. Everyone's included. Jesus doesn't want you to be left out because we all have these, right? What are the cares and worries of our lives? It's our interests, right? It's, our, it's maybe our hobbies. It's our job. It's our people. It's our kids. It's our grandkids. It's our friends. It's our hustle. It's all our stuff, all the things in our closet. It's our media. It's volunteering even. And dare I say it, it could even be ministry. We can be busy, busy, busy. And all of that in and of itself isn't bad. But it can become, it can be, there can be so many worries and so many cares in our life that it just begins to choke out the good stuff choke out spiritual growth in our lives. All of those things that God wants to do can get crowded out because we give first-rate priority to second-rate things. And so Jesus is saying, those weeds, you got to watch. You got to watch. You got to keep your eyes on the soil. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, that's true, Jen. That's true. Like, I really have been wanting to get in a small group. I really, you know, I think that's a place for spiritual growth. I think that's a place where I could grow. Or I've been really wanting to try to start serving. Or maybe even God's equipped me. And I could start leading a team and and leading a group of people here to volunteer at church. Or wherever God is calling you to invest yourself and invest the fruit that he's put in your life. But then you think, you know, but Jen, you know, I, I, like, I just, I can't find the time. I can't find the time for small group. I can't find the time to volunteer. And you're right. You can't find the time because it's not there. When you find something and, and it's not even there in the first place, it's pointless to look for it. It's just literally not there. You cannot find time because your cares of life are so full all over all of your time. Or might be thinking, I can't make the time. I can't make the time to do this. And I'm saying you're absolutely right. You can't make time because you're not God and I'm not God and neither of us can make time. So I don't know why I would say that. I would say like, I can't make time. It's like, you're right. You can't make time because God only makes time. And so we can't find the time because our lives are too full with the cares and worries of life. And we can't make time because we're not God and we can't make time. And so I'm going to bring it to us here a little bit like Jesus did because he talked about farming and all that jazz. And so I'm going to talk about food. All right. So what we need to do is we need to carve out the time. So I want you to just think about, fast forward with me a little bit to Christmas. Okay. I don't know what you eat for Christmas, but I love to have a ham for Christmas. I love for it to be glistening on the outside with some brown sugar crystals on the outside and nice and pink on the inside and, ooh, really juicy, right? Okay, but unless you're a caveman, unless you're Fred Flintstone or something, you are not going to just, like, pick up that ham and just start gnawing on that thing, right? Okay, if you're, if you're doing that, just do that in the privacy of your own home. That's fine. But if you're with your family on Christmas, that's just weird, okay? Don't do that. So what do you have to do? You have to carve that ham, right? You're going to spiral slice that, or maybe you paid somebody else to spiral slice it, but you're going to carve that ham. You might even trim some of the fat off. Not a lot, just makes a little extra seasoning. So just trim some of that fat off because it's, you know, a good thing to do. You're going to carve off some of that fat. You're going to carve it away from the bone so that you can really enjoy the meat, 
right? And that's what we do with our time. We got to cut something out. If we want to get to the meat, if we want that spiritual growth, we may need to cut something out. Hey, August is coming. You got time. You got time to do that. If, if small group, if small group is what Jesus is talking to you about, you got about two months to carve out some time. So I'm going to invite you, encourage you, challenge you to start doing that. What can you cut out? What can you carve out? You see those cares of life just choke out the word of God, whether it be our responsibilities or pressures, just clamoring for our attention. They have the potential to to just squeeze out and starve out the good fruit that God wants to put in our lives. A busy heart can make you spiritually irresponsible. Ooh, Jesus. Say that one more time. A busy heart makes you spiritually irresponsible. So, bad news, good news. What is the solution? How do we have the kind of heart, the kind of soil in our lives that God wants us to have? So let's look at the last part of Jesus' story in Mark chapter 4, verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a hundred times. Wow. So there's hope. There's hope. Jesus said there is this soil. There is this potential right here in all of you that I'm teaching to. That's what Jesus said. And I'm just saying his words. He said it like he means it, y'all. We need to believe it. We have the potential in our hearts to have that good soil. So how do we do it? We partner with Jesus to keep the soil of your heart soft, and you won't be lost. I'll say that again. Partner with Jesus to keep your soil soft, and you won't be lost. So let's look at some of the characteristics of a soft heart versus a hard heart. So this is going to be up on the screen for us. First, a soft heart. A soft heart asks God, what do you want to change? A hard heart desires to stay the same. So that soft heart, we're in a position, we're in a posture, we're saying, change me. I don't even know everything that's going on. I may even be spiritually blind right now, but would you change me, God? Would you transform me? Would you take out, carve out what is not like you and make something new? A soft heart loves to learn God's word, and a hard heart wants to ignore God's word. A soft heart willingly surrenders everything. A hard heart wants to hold on to everything. So how do I do this? How do I willingly surrender everything? That's a lot to ask. To willingly surrender everything? Really? Well, here you go. I, this, is just, this is just me. Here's an example. 10 minutes. I, it's really hard to think about surrendering everything to you, Jesus, but I can consider surrendering 10 minutes to you, Jesus. Whatever that is, 10 minutes to you, Jesus, to be quiet before you. 10 minutes less of YouTube, 10 minutes less of Facebook, 10 minutes more of surrender to you. And then the next day, 
okay, Jesus, I don't know, this surrendering everything willingly is a little much to handle, but I am going to take the next step and I'm gonna surrender 11 minutes to you today. And then you get a little closer and a little closer and a little closer to surrendering everything. Now you may not be like, you may not have to start at 10 minutes. You may be like tremendous individual and you can start much more wild and crazy than that. But start somewhere, surrendering, gradually moving towards surrendering everything. Soft heart displays kindness to others. A hard heart is arrogant or has a temper. Now here's the deal on this one. Rarely are you gonna be going through your life and be like, oh, here's an opportunity to display kindness. I see it coming. It's here with flashing lights. Rarely. Now there will be lots of opportunities that come with flashing lights to you to be arrogant or to have a temper, right? Like those opportunities come to you with all the bells and whistles, right? To have a temper. But rarely will those moments for kindness just like come at you like da-ding. But this is where you can be proactive. You can start to think even now like who has God put in my life that deserves, needs, would love to receive a kindness? Who this week, just think it out, like who could I give the gift of kindness to this week? maybe even just this day, and just make a plan for it. Again, because sometimes it's not going, you're not going to make the time or find the time for kindness, but you can carve out an opportunity for kindness, and that cultivates a soft heart in us. God's Word says it's more blessed to give than to receive, and when we make that time for kindness, we are blessed. A soft heart wants to serve others. A hard heart wants to be served. Again, this might be something that you have to carve out. You have to say, I'm not going to wait for the opportunity for someone to come to me to serve. I'm going to look for an opportunity. If, if you need an opportunity, I'm going to raise your hand, Mr. Cliff, Mr. Joe. Okay, there's Mr. Cliff. Where's Mr. Joe? Right there. Oh, they're on both sides, so you can catch either one of them. If you're looking, you're saying, you know what, I need a place to serve. I'm going to take one step towards serving. Talk to them after service. I promise you they will be able to lead you in the right direction. A soft heart yearns to grow in their faith. A hard heart is satisfied with where they are. Maybe you're saying, okay, this is, this is a lot, but I want to grow. I don't know where I'm, what I'm going to grow up into, and it's, I've got a long way to go. I'm barely out of the seed packet. You know, there's just hardly anything, but I want to grow. And you're asking Jesus every day that he would grow in your life. A soft heart excels in generosity. A hard heart makes excuses for being stingy. Again, this is generosity through our resources, through our money, but also through our time and through our gifts, through our abilities, through our skills. A soft heart can't wait to attend church. Can't wait to be here. Be with your people. Meet with the Lord together as a community. A hard heart is just marking church off their task list. It's something that I, I just do. And if that's where you are, maybe you've, maybe you've been there for a while. Ask the Lord, help me to find my people. Help me to step fully into worship corporately together with the body of Christ 
so that I can begin to love. Jesus wants to partner with you. He doesn't want you to like grit your way to a soft heart. That doesn't make any sense. How could you grit your way? That just, that's just more hardness. That's just you being stubborn. That's just you trying to do it all by your lonesome. I know, and I can say that with authority because I have been there. Jesus wants to partner with you to have a soft heart. Let's finish our passage from Hebrews. In verse 9, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Here the writer is encouraging the reader that God has incredible, incredible things for them. He wants them to imitate the example of others that when faced with all kinds of trouble, when faced with just all of life, like all the things and all the drama and all the hurt and all the suffering and all the challenges, those people that have faced opposition and difficulty have persevered. He wants us to imitate them and to follow the way that they have followed Jesus so that our hearts can be soft. Next week, we're going to talk more about that online. But as we come to the end of this service today, I just want to give you all a chance. Like I've had to give myself a chance this week to really wrestle with these words, to really think about these words, to let these words go down into our hearts and change us and transform us. Maybe today you've been here and you say, you know what? Honestly, my soil, my land, my property, my life, it doesn't belong to Jesus. My heart is hard or my heart has been thorny. It's been weedy or my heart has just been busy. I've been distracted. I haven't had time for Jesus to be my Lord. I haven't wanted him to be my Lord. I haven't trusted him to be my Lord. And if that's you, I want to give you a chance to let Jesus partner with you to change your life this morning. So with everyone's head bowed and with everyone's eyes closed, just so that you can focus, just so that you can have a moment to really think and take inventory of your life, I want you to just close your eyes. And I've asked Holy Spirit to, in this moment, speak profoundly in a way that shifts your life forever. And I've been asking Holy Spirit in this week as I've prepared for this moment that the people that he wants to change their life forever would have the courage in this moment and the honesty to say, Jesus, I need you.